Synthetic chemicals are present in almost every man-made item around us. Our clothing, household products, electronics, building materials, office supplies, cosmetics, even our kids' toys contain chemicals that are toxic or whose safety is unknown. The average American is exposed to more than 100 of them every day. There are chemicals basically in a lot of the products that show up in our commercial life, the products that make our lives good and make our workplaces productive. Many of them today are made from synthetic chemicals. Not all of those are dangerous, but there are additives and chemicals that are used in the production of those products which are of concern. That's Ken Geyser, Emeritus Professor of Work Environment at the University of Massachusetts at Lowell and author of the book, Chemicals Without Harm, Policies for a Sustainable World. They are chemicals that are really dangerous. Sometimes those chemicals are in such low amounts that the exposure is really, really very modest and the danger isn't that extreme. But in other cases, those chemicals introduced into a house or a building may off-gas or fall off the product, show up in the dust in the house, and can be a problem for, for instance, children that crawl around on the floor or elderly people who may have health compromised by disease or whatever. So it's not just the danger of the chemical itself, it's also how we're exposed to it. But if those chemicals are dangerous to us, why are they available? Geyser says many people assume that the government doesn't let dangerous chemicals onto the market, but that's not true. The way our market works, products come onto the market, the government does not test those products. They may be tested by product manufacturers, but those test results are often proprietary. We don't know what they are. We often don't even know what the chemicals are in products. So the government just doesn't have the capacity or the authority to really test hundreds and hundreds of chemicals. Geyser says the government's done a better job policing air and water pollution. Laws passed in the 1970s have stood the test of time, but when it comes to chemicals in our products, industry polices itself. We are a country that believes in a free market, and that's a basic tenet of our society. That's worked very well for us in many cases. Um, we produce a huge amount of innovative products and services. But um, with regards to hazardous products, such as products that contain dangerous chemicals, there's not the same drive for seeking safer substitutes or safer chemicals if, in fact, a lot of that is not known. And one of the inhibitors to really moving toward an effective market is the fact that the information simply is not out there. Consumers have no way of really judging products in terms of their safety. Often product manufacturers don't even know what's in the components uh, that they use to assemble products. So there's a lot of information that's just missing that would otherwise make the market more effective at producing a safer outcome. So it's possible that toy makers may have no idea if the plastics they buy from another company contain toxics, and the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency often has no idea either. About 15 years ago, the EPA tried to find all the information that was available on all chemicals, selling more than a million pounds a year. Of the 87,000 chemicals that are in production in the United States, the EPA focused on some 2,300 of them that are really the large volume chemicals and ran a study to determine how much was actually known about those. And it was revealing that only about 6% had full testing done. That is, 94% had less than full testing. And of that number, 43% had no testing on those chemicals. There's no way any agency can keep track of 87,000 chemicals with more coming on the market every week so there's just no way to control them. It's hard to identify, estimate really, how many chemicals are really of serious concern. 
the European Union has listed some 2,000 chemicals, which they believe are of worthy concern. The states of Washington and Maine have also drawn up lists of 1,700 chemicals. So there's a lot of chemicals. It's not just a handful of them. And it's difficult for a government to be able to assess all those. Geyser says taking a European approach would likely keep us safer. The Europeans have stepped forward, putting in place a much more aggressive chemical policy. But actually, because China and Asia provides products to Europe as much as they provide products to the United States, recent policy changes in Asia have moved toward harmonization with European standards. And so actually, the products that are coming onto the market that are not getting selectively oriented to Europe without changing for the U.S. tend to be safer because of the European standards. Now, that's not true of all products. For instance, computers, for instance, would be an example of a product that a Chinese manufacturer would make for Europe. It would sell that same computer in the United States. But with regards to other substances like perhaps textiles that are easier to treat differently for different countries, we may see more dangerous chemicals coming into the U.S. than they would coming into Europe. But it doesn't always take government rules and regulations to get the marketplace to change. If some large businesses have their way, toxic products will die a slow death on their own. Take Walmart, for instance, which has a screening program. They screen for a list of restricted substances. They do not want their suppliers to provide. The same is true for Target and Staples. Nike has phased out PVC and its footwear, and Hewlett Packard has phased out the heavy metals, mercury, lead, cadmium. Apple's moved to uh, aluminum casing on their laptops and all rather than the plastic in order to get away from the additives that go into plastics. So there are real examples where firms without regulations themselves have moved to switch away from chemicals of high concern to safer substitutes. That's a kind of a precautionary approach in its own right. Still, Geyser believes a little push from government would be helpful. He says it will take a combination of government, manufacturers, retailers, researchers, and non-governmental agencies to truly erase all doubt about the safety of the products we use every day. You can find out more about all our guests through links on our website, radiohealthjournal.net. Our production director is Sean Waldron. I'm Karen Hand. June is Alzheimer's and Brain Awareness Month. A new survey from the Alzheimer's Association shows that caregiving can either bring a family together or tear it apart. Relationships between siblings were found to be the most strained, with 43% of caregivers feeling their family undervalued their efforts. Ruth Drew, Director of Family and Information Services for the Alzheimer's Association, says there are steps you can take to diminish some of the family tension surrounding caregiving. It's critical that families discuss caregiving needs and develop a plan that allows everyone to contribute. Our survey shows that lack of communication can fuel family tensions and add further stress to an already stressful situation. We can help families identify care needs and provide resources to help, including long-distance care tips and care coordination tools on our website at alz.org. The Alzheimer's Association invites caregivers and family members to call its 24-7 helpline at 800-272-3900 or explore their resources at alz.org. That's alz.org. Medical Notes This Week. Would you know what advice to give a family member or friend being bullied at work? A new study in the Journal of Applied Communication Research reports that friends, family, and coworkers are often giving victims of workplace bullying bad advice. 
Researchers say 27% of victims are advised to quit their job rather than deal with the issues head on. The paper also says that victims tend to pass the same bad advice on to others. To combat misguided advice, researchers suggest that friends, family, and coworkers develop an open dialogue and listen instead of placing blame on the victim. People who have had a stroke are often advised to avoid alcohol, but a new study done on animals shows that a certain type of stroke may actually increase the desire to drink. A study from Scientific Reports finds that this type of stroke is one of the most common in humans. Researchers say that a preference for alcohol can be seen just five days after the stroke. And finally, what's the longest you can stand on one leg? Probably not ours, right? So how do flamingos do it? As it turns out, it comes down to reducing muscular effort. Researchers have been studying these birds in order to improve robotics, orthopedic braces, and artificial limbs for human patients. Their work has been published in Biology Letters and has implications for creating more wearable artificial limbs for patients in need. And that's Medical Notes this week. More in a moment. Cardiac arrest is a leading cause of death in the U.S. CPR, if performed immediately, can double or triple the odds of survival, and a victim's chance of survival decreases by 7 to 10 percent for every minute that passes without the use of an automated external defibrillator, or AED. New surveys by the American Heart Association show help may not be there when needed. Dr. Michael Kurz of the University of Alabama at Birmingham is an American Heart Association volunteer. Everyone needs to know CPR and AEDs need to be available in every public place, including workplaces. Half of workers and two-thirds of hospitality workers say they can't locate AEDs at work. More than half of workers can't get CPR or AED training from their employer, and nearly a third of safety managers say training only became important to offer after an incident occurred. If you run a business, be sure it has an AED. And if you don't know CPR, find out where you can learn. Visit heart.org slash workforce training. That's heart.org slash workforce training. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTrax Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.